Alright, very good. Not a problem. Thank you for sharing that verse, and thank you for your good singing, and thank you for being here this morning. Uh, it's a fantastic, beautiful day to be worshiping God, honoring Him with everything that we have. And uh, I think it's a wonderful thing to get together with good people on a Sunday morning. It's a sort of tradition in my life, and uh, hopefully it becomes that for you. And uh, not just tradition, but something that we look forward to, something that we enjoy, um, something that we get to share with each other. And uh, we have some, um, like was uh, sung about just a little while ago, uh, we sang happy birthday to someone who had a birthday yesterday, and um, actually two people yesterday, and um, David and Crystal getting baptized. It's fun to have new uh, family uh, to look up to, well, to look up to, to look down to. To help out little brothers and sisters um, to look down to it to be able to help out so if you didn't get a chance to give them a hug when they were soaking wet yesterday um, please do it today they probably not, not you probably won't get as much of them on you if you hug them today so that probably be a, a, a benefit you know we're in the uh, very close to the end of a, a very long series uh, called the not so inconsequential and uh, we've studied Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Oh, you'll say them with me? Yeah. All right. Let's start with Hosea. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We're on to Malachi. We're on the last of the uh, minor prophets. And uh, it's been an amazing series. And I've learned a ton. And I've got all kinds of things highlighted in my Bible from this series. And it's been uh, extremely fun for me anyway, and I hope it's been that for you. Today we're going to talk a little bit about God's expectations and, and what He cares about and the things He wants us to pay attention to. Last May, not this May, but a year ago in May, uh, I had the opportunity to sit in a tree stand for actually two different tree stands for a, a grand total of 48 hours one week. And um, you have a picture of that? Is that one on there? This was my picture from the south stand. Um, Dad shot a bear from this stand, and BJ shot a bear from this stand. And you can see right in the middle there, there's a barrel of um, all kinds of yummy treats that the bears would come in and, and eat. And um, Dad came home from telling his story. BJ got, got, had gotten his, and it was pretty pretty straightforward. Um, you know, bear comes in, he shoots it, and walks off. Um, and, you know, bear dies and we go get it in the boat and come back. Dad's story was a little bit different. Um, the bear kind of came over and, and gave Dad a nothing short of heart attack. Um, put his paws up on his tree and did some crazy stuff. And so it was a little bit intimidating, this south stand. The other picture is the north stand. Um, this north stand, uh, once again, is a really cool area, a really neat spot. Um, Nothing but seagulls came into this stand. Um, I sat in this stand for about 30-some hours. and um, But you have to pay attention when you're sitting in a bear stand. Because you know they're coming. Well, you thought they were coming. We were in hopes that they would come. Um, but sitting in that tree stand, you had to always pay attention. Sleep was not an option. Uh, you didn't sleep in a bear stand because in any moment uh, a bear could come in from anywhere. And I just knew one was going to come from up here on the rock and come down over to the stand or 
and, and, and your, your mind goes everywhere. And you, you think, well, maybe there's one down by the water and it's going to come up from the water. And it's just, it, yeah, you just think about where they're going to come from. And you sit there for 30 hours thinking about where they're going to come from. And um, to go back to that first, can you go back one slide? So the bear that did come into my stand the last day, the last hour of the time, um, came out of that dark clump of trees, right? Right? Just, just left the center there and um, came down on the right-hand side of it. And as it came down, I turned all my cameras on and I started recording. And I'm like, oh, man, this is it. I'm going to get my bear. Started coming down to the, to the barrel, and then I looked behind her, and there was three little cubs that, come, that were coming with her. Like, oh, man, can't shoot that one. But then it was really scary because I'm only a little ways off the ground, and Mama Bear's right there, and all the cubs are right there. If she catches wind of me or sees me, I'm toast. And so I'm on high alert. I already knocked an arrow thinking that, well, maybe this is one I get to shoot. Now it's in self-defense. I'm like, if that mama comes up that tree, I am, you know. Uh, but paying attention is, and I get goosebumps just talking about it, thinking about it. Um, paying attention is something that I definitely had to do in those tree stands. And, and as I went through this message, um, thoughts of sitting in the tree stand, trying to think of ways to stay awake, think of ways to, uh, I read, I think, two books in their entirety while I sat in the tree stand. A lot of Bible time, um, a lot of thinking time. I wrote letters to all my kids. I haven't given them to them yet. Uh, I wrote letters to my wife. Um, all of that in that time. It was a wonderful time, but we had to, I had to pay close attention to what was going on around me. And um, God's asking us to do the same in the book of Malachi. Several prophets telling us that God's people need to repent and turn back to Him. And in the course, of course, they always started to and then would always return hardly ever follow through the assyrians took over the northern tribes and the the babylonians came down and took over the southern tribes as well um, took them into slavery and uh, into babylon and king darius became king and then sent the people back to their own lands to rebuild this small remnant that we talked about in the book of haggai um, obviously they haggai informed them uh, how to patch the hole in their pockets um, these people immediate, immediately obeyed, and um, God did. He patched their holes in their pockets and started taking care of them. The, uh, last week we talked about Zechariah, and um, God helped uh, or helped these people see that He wanted to renew the the covenant with them, and I wanted to continue to follow through. So about a hundred years later comes the prophet Malachi, the prophet and preacher named Malachi. Once again, these were godly people. They had chosen to follow God, but as oftentimes happens in our lives, we tend to slide or tend to spiritually erode, and uh, we forget the basic commands of God. Malachi is reminding them. For those of you who have grown up in the church uh, may understand the faith of your parents at some point needs to become your faith. And in that same process needs to be passed down to your children. There's little comparisons here and there. There's little compromises here and there. And, and we get to the point where most of our relationship is just this religious tradition. It needs to become more than that. 
Instead of having true faith and trusting God, we see grandchildren following more cultural aspects of their relatives, and it's not really theirs. That's sad. This is the setting for this minor prophet today. These great-great-grandchildren, 100 years, probably four generations, five generations maybe, we see these people falling behind in their relationship with God, not really connected the way God wants them to. So that's the setting where we're going uh, in our message this morning. It's been 100, 100 years since God spoke, and it'll be another 400 years until God speaks again, right? The prophet who? The preacher with camel's hair and, and a, a, a belt, wearing, uh, eating locusts and honey, right? John the Baptist comes next. So, but that's 400 years from now. So a lot has to, a lot has to happen um, from the prophet preacher Malachi. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Malachi. And we're just going to kind of do a, like we've done before, 30,000 foot overview. Um, kind of hit some high points along the way. Read part of this passage uh, to us and, and get a basic understanding of what's, what Malachi is all about. Alright, so let's start in uh, Malachi chapter 1. And we're going to start reading there in, in verse 1. Let's look to God in word of prayer before we begin. God, thank you so much for sending your prophet Malachi, the preacher, to bring uh, your word once again to not just your people, but down to us, God. Help us to be able to take this uh, historically in context, but also be able to apply it to our lives today. We know that you're still the same God that you were when Malachi spoke. I pray that we can be the people that you want us to be now, just like you wanted them to be then. God, I pray that you'll bless with that this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 1. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. It's pronounced Malachi, not Malachi. Okay. Malachi. I probably find some other pronunciations, and maybe I'm not even pronouncing it right. Somebody will probably come up and tell me the Hebrew pronunciation. It'll probably be completely different. Um, but anyway, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have, we, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into wasteland, and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. Fantastic. Slam that Bible shut, head on out the door. Man, I've been blessed this morning. Right? Did anybody get anything out of that passage of Scripture? Anyone? Can you explain it to me? I'm lost. It's an interesting, isn't it? What are we talking about here? The promise was given to Abraham and Isaac, and then Esau and Jacob comes along. This verse pointing out that the one that was supposed to be blessed wasn't. It was birthright back in those days, right? When, when, uh, when Jacob and Esau were born, it was supposed to be Esau that got the blessing. But Jacob received it. God picked this one. And he's telling his people, I've chosen you. God picked this one. Kind of like each and every one of us. We were picked. We were chosen. 
We were not of his kingdom and now we are of his kingdom. In our day and age, adoption is gaining much popularity and it's not looked down on as much. It was almost taboo back in the day to be adopted. You didn't want to tell anybody, oh yeah, I was adopted. I look at it a little differently. This passage is kind of pointing out the same. If you are adopted, you were chosen. My parents didn't get to pick from a lineup when I was born. They were stuck with what they got. They tried a couple more times hoping for something better, but they probably just should have stopped at one because they didn't get any better. (laughs) After God established his sonship or their sonship, he's telling them that they are chosen. Then he gets into the tough stuff. Jump down to verse verse 6. He points out their sort of half-heartedness. He's a king, but he wants to be honored as a king. Look at verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. would Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light a a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations says the Lord Almighty. These people were thinking that it was a great burden to honor God. They were bringing their leftovers, the blind, the lame animals to be offered as sacrifice. God asked for the best of the best. He asked for the first fruits. He asked for everything from the best of what we have. Not stay up all night Saturday night and show up half awake Sunday morning you see what I mean God's asking for all of us and for the best of what we've got jump down to verse uh, I guess we're there at verse 12 do you profane it by saying the Lord's table it is defiled and it's food it is contemptible and you say what a burden and you sniff at it contemptuously says the Lord Almighty when you bring injured and crippled deceased animals, diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Verse 14, Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Why is God so against them at this point? Why is he so angry with them? 
Well, look down chapter 2, verse 1. And now this admonition is for you, O priest. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Hmm. We'll see it in a minute, but God is angry with their leadership. He's angry with the priests. They have, in a way, taken a poll. They've asked the people, so what do you want to hear about this week? So what do you want to talk about this week? And they've kind of just done whatever the people wanted. They've tailored their message to fit what the people wanted. Drop down to chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is, a mess- he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated, humiliated before the people, because you have not followed the ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Hmm, partiality. It says there you have taken the word of God and chosen parts to highlight and chosen other parts to reject or overlook. I'm not saying it's wrong to highlight in your Bible. It's not what the, that's not the point. But you've probably caught me saying things like, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. This week. Okay? Because just about every verse in the Bible ought to be our favorite. We can't choose. We can't pick and choose. We can't be partial to this one and not to that one. We can't ignore that one and, and honor this one. This cut and paste type Bible study is not going to work. God's not happy with it. He wants us to take the whole of the matter. I could go off about liberal churches right now. Or maybe even go off about legalistic ones. But we all have to understand that each and every one of us, each and every congregation, even us, can be guilty of this exact same thing. We have to be careful. There are some passages of scripture that will gather crowds. And there's others that will thin the herd. It's my aim to spread and share the word of God equally without partiality. The priests were getting busted by Malachi because they were handcrafting, man-made handcrafting their messages tailor-fit to what the people wanted to hear. Next part of chapter 2 is all about commitment. Commitment in marriage. Look at chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Did not God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You you weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her. 
Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his, and why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. Highlight, underline, circle. Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Verse 16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Marrying outside of faith. We talk about it. You know, the first Corinthians passage is do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Marrying someone who doesn't believe is a tragic, tragic case. Because why? That little piece I had you underline in verse 15. Because he's seeking godly offspring. When a believer and a non-believer get married, this is what happens. The believer puts, he sort of puts, or she sort of puts Jesus in their pocket when they're with their non-believing spouse. And here's what happens. It's not just the marriage, but it's, it's everywhere. If you wear Jesus out on your shoulder where everyone can see your faith, people are either drawn to Jesus or they're repelled by you. When you put Jesus in your pocket and get married to a non-believer, you have told that person that you just married that they are more important to you than God. And that's tragic. If you're in a relationship right now with a non-believer, God doesn't hate the marriage. He wants you to win them over. Not by preaching to them. We see this in 1 Peter. But by being the best spouse ever. You're to be the best spouse ever. God says in verse 16, I hate divorce. But I want you to realize... That God did not say in that verse, I hate divorced people. God hates divorce because of what it does to family, what it does to culture, what it does to children. Many of you are from broken homes, and it doesn't matter if you are the innocent victim, if you are partially to blame, or if you are full on the one that caused the problem, that, that instituted the divorce, that, that just made the whole thing fall apart. It doesn't make any difference where you are. God hates divorce. But he doesn't hate you. Please understand that. He goes on to share something that also annoys him. Starting in verse 17. Chapter 2 verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he is pleased with them. And where is God of, the God of justice? Chapter 3, verse 1. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you, you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a, a, a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years." These people were whining about how God was not showing up to judge the wicked and provide justice for the world. 
But God says, when I show up, it will be you that goes through the fire first. God says, I'm going to take the crud off of you and then we'll move on to them. Notice in, in many times in scripture we find judgment. But also that judgment first comes within before it's outside. Right? It comes inside. Look at chapter 3 and verse 5. So I will come near to you for judgment. He's not going to get them at judgment. He's coming for you at judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers. Yeah, you should get those people. Those people are really bad. Look who else he's judging. Against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice, and do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Notice all these things are on the same list. He doesn't separate them out. He doesn't pull them all apart and, and give one person stricter punishment than the other. They're all in the same list. Now let's go down to chapter uh, 3 and verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how, have we, how, how are we to return? Verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This word tithe here. What's this word tithe mean? Tithe means 10%. Bring the whole tithe, the verse says. Verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe. Circle, underlight, highlight, whole. On a national average of Bible-believing Christians throughout America, there's there's two and a half percent collectively as a whole. Two and a half percent of our income is being tithed. It should be a, a tooth instead of a tithe, I guess. I don't believe that this congregation is that way, but I think we have growth. There's room for growth in all of these areas. Uh, Lindsay was telling us a story this morning about how, how some of her single moms began to tithe. And it was interesting what happened by the time uh, it, all, it all was said and done. It was those moms, those single moms that were no longer needing welfare. They were no longer needing help with financial situations. They were no longer needing a place to live. They were no longer needing food and clothing. Because why? Because the survey showed that 85% of them were giving their tithes and offerings. A whole tithe. And then above that also. What took place? 
It said there, chapter, uh, chapter 3, down in verse, uh, right there in verse 12. Then all the nation will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. What happened to that group of single moms when they began to tithe? They were blessed. God took care of them, and they, began, they, were, they were blessed because of it. Can't dance around the subject. We don't like to talk about money because it's here, and it's pretty clear. Here's the question I have for you. Are you 100% happy with the way your personal finances are going? Now, I know that just because I just read Malachi 3.8, that everybody in the room is just going to say, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good with what we got going here. But if, if we could take a snapshot of the conversations that you had about your personal finances over the last couple of weeks, would we find that to be the same answer? If the answer is no, that you're not really content with your personal finances, I challenge you just the way God did to test him. In this. Test him. Put God to the test. By bringing the whole tithe. It doesn't mean you'll live in health and wealth the rest of your life. It means that we'll all live in plenty. It's not just a me and God thing. When you you put your money in that box. When you put your whole tithe in that box. It's not just between you and God. It is... I mean, we're not that back there. Nobody's back there with a video camera on there and making sure everybody puts money in there. And nobody goes to the books and makes sure that everybody is, you know, you don't turn in your financials and, and this is how much I made this month and this is how much I gave this month. No, we don't do that here because it is between you and God. But realize that it's, it affects the entire community of believers. When the body of Christ lives in abundance and brings the whole tithe, when there are some among us who go through hard times... They can actually get the help they need. When the body of Christ lives in scarcity and gives uh, and keeps more than their 90%, right? God, that's how much God allows us to live on is our 90%. When, when the body of Christ lives in scarcity and keeps more than their 90%, those who are hurting, they get prayed for. Do you see the difference? If we're all giving the way God wants us to, we can actually help those that are in need rather than just say, we'll be praying for you. There's a big difference there. Do you want to be a part of a body of Christ, the church who can really help people who are needing help? So win-win. If you contribute, if you take on this mentality of abundance, not hoarding, but sharing. I used to hate this idea that everybody was a winner. participation awards but when it comes to financial things it's not a competition there's competition at the track there's competition on the court there's competition on the football field but there's not competition when it comes to money when it comes to money we need to see it as there's an abundance there's always more where that came from God's always willing to give more we can always gain more when the time's right we can always earn more with God's help let's not be tight fisted with God's money when you give it generously. God says the whole tithe. Well, do I have to tithe on the amount before taxes or amount after taxes? Mike, well, do you want to get blessed on the amount before taxes or the amount after taxes? It's up to you. Well, do I, do I, do I tithe right down to the penny, like 10%? If I make $453.40 this week, do I give $45.34? 
Well, if that's the way you want God to bless, just barely enough, then you just keep doing that. I always want God to round up my blessings. Right? I always want him to round them up. It's like, just take it to the next hundred. That'd be fine. Or maybe the next thousand. That'd be great. That's the way I tithe. That's what I do when I write my check. That's what I do when I give. I just round it up. Do you have those little apps on your phone where you're at the restaurant and you type in a little number and it goes and it dials in 16, 17, 18%. And then you just hit the button that says round up. Or do you hit the button that says round down? Depends on your attitude. Depends on the waiter. Depends on the service. And I always just round up. I always just slide it up a bit and just round it on up. It's generosity. So that's a 30,000 foot view of Malachi 1 through 3. We're going to talk a little bit about 4 um, at the very end, um, probably a couple weeks from now. Um, next week we're going to focus quite a bit on, on chapter, um, right in the middle of chapter 2, um, where we, we're talking about marriage and, and family. We'll focus on that a little bit next week. But that's basically an, a 30,000 foot overview of Malachi. Now I just want to dial in, boil down just real, real, real quick, three or four rather expectations, things that God cares about, um, things that, that stood out to me from this passage that really I just think God cares about. Number one, God expects to be treated like God. Multiple times throughout this passage, and you probably caught it, he said, the Lord Almighty, the God of heaven's armies, the Lord Almighty, right, is speaking. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Before you walk, you crawl, and before you crawl, you, you scooch, right? Some of those YouTube videos of kids scooching is just absolutely hysterical. <laughs> Super funny. Spiritual scooching is the fear of the Lord. That's the quote of the day. Spiritual scooching is the fear of the Lord. Four things God doesn't do. Four things God doesn't do. It's not in your notes. Write this down. He doesn't do magic genie. You can't rev the bottle. You can't teach enough Sunday school classes. You can't throw enough money in the box. You can't, you can't stack up church attendance, multiple churches attendance to, to be able to rub the bottle and get whatever you want. God doesn't play uh, magic genie. We serve him. He doesn't serve us. God's not a magic genie with three wishes. Second, God doesn't do cosmic consultant. He is not some cosmic consultant who comes down, shares his thoughts with us, and then goes back up there and we pick and choose what we decide to do. We pay him if we like it. We don't if we don't. Uh, no, I, I must have done something over here to this phone. It's taking pictures. Pretty awesome. It's, it's kind of It's cosmic. We, we talked about it before. It's kind of like God's big, huge dimmer switch, right? If, if we start obeying, if we start doing what God wills, uh, he turns the dimmer switch up and we're, we're able to see. But when we stop doing God's will, when we, we stop following him, he turns that dimmer switch back down. And it makes it more difficult for us to see clearly what exactly what his will is. And so if I were you, I would um, just do what he asks. Just do what he says to do. And he's got to turn that dimmer switch up and it's going to be full light of day. It's kind of like the partiality we discussed earlier where we, you know, pick and choose. God comes down, tells us what we ought to do, and then he kind of goes back up there and we have a choice to make. 
It's like, well, thanks for those points. I really appreciate those points from that you brought from God's word today. And now I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick one or two of them out of the list of ten that I'm comfortable with, and that's the ones I'm going to follow. You see a flaw there? Yeah. He's not a cosmic consultant. Third thing he doesn't do is he doesn't do leftovers. God says you're a blessing. Uh, you're, you're blessing me out of what's left over. Uh, I, I just can't handle that. You're, you're giving me um, what you don't really need much use to have much use for anymore. God doesn't play that way. God wants to be honored with his first fruits. And fourth, one th- fourth thing God doesn't do is he doesn't play second fiddle. He doesn't do second fiddle. God wants to be first. He wants to be primary. He wants, wants to be uh, the most important role in your life. Jesus said, make God's kingdom, the church, your primary concern. Seek first his kingdom in Matthew 6 and verse 33. He doesn't play second fiddle. God wants to be treated like God. Second expectation, um, God wants to obey all of his commands, not just part of them, all of them. We talked about it. Um, we really can't just pick and choose. We want, to, we want to follow all of his. If you've ever been pulled over, Matt's not here this morning, so we'll talk about him. If, if Matt pulls you over on I-25 and you're going a little too fast, and um, Matt gets up to the window and he says, uh, you know, roll down your window. Um, and you say, well, well, Matt, you see, I, uh, at least I wasn't drinking today. Uh, at least I wasn't. At least I wasn't beating the kids today. Do you think that's gonna work, or do you think Matt's just gonna write you a ticket? He's probably gonna write you two. Right? It's gonna make it a little worse. God points out a piece of this truth. A piece of this truth, like honor God with your body. In other words, don't harm your body with the substances like drugs, alcohol, tobacco, things that pollute your body. Do you think that it would work to point out to God that you know I just. I haven't, I haven't yelled at my wife today. At least, at least I haven't done anything, you know, really bad today. That's not the way God does things. He wants us to obey all of his commands. It's crazy how people will claim a promise without obeying the condition. Look at 1 John chapter 2. I think this is up on the screen. It says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments... That person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we're living in him. John 14 and verse 15, it says, if you love me, obey my commandments. He wants to be treated like God. He wants us to obey all of his commands. Third, he wants to be center of your marriage and your family. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. We saw it in chapter 2 and verse 15, halfway down. Why does God want you to put him first in your marriage, center in your marriage, and center in your family? Because he wants godly offspring. Expectation number four, for us to provide help to the weak. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 5, we read it already. Look at it again. At that time, I will put you on trial. I am an eager witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. We have a tendency to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. You get those guys. Those are bad guys. But I will also speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress the widows and orphans, who deprive the foreigners living among you of the justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies whining about the injustices in our own lives when there's injustices all over the place. Take care of those around us and God continues to take care of us. It's called a win-win. It's not legal. It's not, it's not uh, political. It's not 
I'm not talking about 500 foot walls or, or open borders, that doesn't matter. If these people are in our presence and in need, it's our responsibility to take care of them. That's what God wants. That's what God's expectation is. These are all things God cares about. And God, may we be the people who care about the things you care about. Help us live up to your expectations, to treat you like God, to obey all of your commands, to place you at the center of our marriage and family, to provide help to the weak. We put some stakes in the ground, right? Expectation God asks for. He wants to be treated like God, right? He wants to, us to obey all of his commands. He wants to be in the center of our marriage and in our family. And he wants us to take care of those around us. Pick up one of those stakes. Pick up, pick up one, of those, one of those thoughts and run with it this week. Own it. Instead of asking stupid questions like the people of Malachi's day did. How have you loved us? What? Really? God chose us. He chose us. How have we shown contempt for your name? How have we defiled you? How have we wearied you with our words? How have we robbed you? If you put all those questions together, it really makes us seem really silly, doesn't it? Really immature in a lot of ways. But I think a lot of us, the way we live our lives, at least for me, the way I live my life, I'm kind of asking those questions of God on a daily basis. I'm being silly about it. We know clearly what God's expectations are. We should be able to follow through with what they are. Be alert. Pay attention. Don't get caught off guard. The bears might get you if you don't. I want to uh, uh, take just the last couple minutes here of this service and um, just give a, uh, just a few, I don't know. I want you to pray this prayer with, with the, what's going to happen on the screen. We have a whole bunch of little kids. And they're leaving our homes again for the school season, for the school year. They're going to spend a majority of their energy, effort, and time away from us for a while. And um, it's a scary thing to me. And um, so I, I want us to uh, give the kids uh, that are going back to school a kickoff. And uh, so I want to show this video to end our service this morning. And then we'll close in prayer. All right? This year we ask you to watch over our kids. We ask that as they roam the hallways of school this year, would you go before them, preparing them for trials, for tests, and for opportunities to be Jesus to those who don't know him. We know that we are strangers in this world, so help them be your ambassadors as they meet teachers and friends Help them to cling to your word as they go about their days. And God, would you help them to learn? Help them to learn how to love others like you love us. How to be light, how to be kind, how to be a good friend. 
help them learn how not to take themselves too seriously, and help them learn how to be your hands and feet, how to listen. God, help them learn how to listen to you and others, how to walk in your ways. God, help them live in peace. Fill them with your peace that passes all understanding and how to be wise. Lord, please help our kids to make good choices this year. Protect them as they leave our homes and as they encounter evil in this world. Send your angels to keep them safe. This year, we entrust our kids to you, God, just as we always have. So God, this year, watch over our kids once again. It's a stressful time for a young person uh, to go back to school and uh, be praying for our kids. They need it. So, Thank you for uh, listening in on the uh, book of Malachi. Hopefully you got some things highlighted, some things uh, underlined and circled. And um, so uh, move on to uh, have a great week, follow God, everything we do. Uh, let's be standing. We'll close in word of prayer. Be dismissed. Is it, does there anything that need to be announced or need to be spoken or need to be said um, before we close in prayer this morning? All right, let's look to God in word of prayer. God, thank you so much for being our God, for uh, allowing us to be part of your work here. God, we thank you for um, the words that we read, um, the thoughts that you've shared with us from the book of Malachi. God, I pray that we will treat you like God, we will honor you like you are God, that we will bring you the best of what we have um, to serve you wholeheartedly and obey all of your commands. And God, I pray that we'll um, be able to put you center of our marriage and our family. And God, be able to take care of those around us, the the orphans, the widows, the aliens, those that that come across maybe even strange and weird to us. God, help us to love them just like you want us to. God, I pray a special blessing on the kids that start school this week. Maybe they've already started. Maybe they don't start for another couple of days. But God, this is the season where they go back to school. God, help them to take your word with them as they go. Be the light in their life so that they can shine on those around them. God, I pray that you'll bless them this year as they attempt to do that. God, help us to be the parents that we need to be in support of, of what they're trying to get accomplished in and what you're doing in their life. And uh, God, I pray that you'll bless the rest of this day, bless the rest of this week, help us to be on fire for you, and uh, be your your bride, your church, uh, as we go away from, from this place. Pray that things in Jesus' name. Amen.